It takes more than adding a field called comment to your JSON to make up for JSON not allowing comments to be a great software engineer. This is episode 233 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show where we answer your non-technical questions about software development. <laughs> I guess you could say we comment on them. We, <laughs> That's true. We annotate them with data, metadata. I did appreciate JSON more after reading a lot of rants about YAML over the week, though. Oh, yeah? It could be worse. I guess that's JSON. It could be worse. It could. That's my summary. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean... The difference between different config files. JSON. I used to use XML a lot. <laughs> JSON. The spec is 10 times smaller than YAML. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave, do you want to thank our patrons? I do. Thank you to those who are contributing at the level that gets them a weekly shout out. They are Oladapo Fadiyi, Kiarns Fainton, Oleksandr, Microconfig.io, Nick Hathaway, Travis Sanders, Dennis Bogdanov, Braden Kane, Stephen Armand Lee, John Grant, Vinlock, The Agile Ventures Charity, Nick Gantar, and Philip John Basile. If you would like to support the show and join this list, or not join this list at a, you know, whatever amount you feel comfortable with, go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. If you do that, we will send you an invitation to our Slack community where you can join some hilarious and fun and insightful and educational chats about all kinds of topics. And that's it. <laughs> it includes everything. I mean, that's all. <laughs> I already said everything. <laughs> about all topics. It does. Yeah. Every every topic. Fridge repair. Yeah. I mean, that's... That is... French philosophy. <laughs> fun dip flavors. They're on an F kick. <laughs> this week <laughs> french fun dip and what was the other one fridges fridge repair <laughs> freon gas disposal i guess that's related to fridge repair oh my gosh this episode is sponsored by monday.com which is a visual teamwork platform that you'll hear more about later thank you to monday all right should i read our first question yes please this comes from a listener named john john says my very large company has an alternative definition of unit testing. Unit testing at this company refers to when a developer manually tests their code in whatever interface the code is associated with after they write it. An example usage would be a stand-up status update such as, quote, I finished writing the code for ticket X, and now I am just doing unit testing to make sure my code works. <laughs> <laughs> my concern is that there is very little real unit testing at this company, and then I think the misuse of this term makes it even harder for real unit testing practice to become prevalent. Is this worth speaking up about? See, and I, I always thought unit testing was the act of writing even more code until this code coverage report turns green. Yeah, did you ever hear about the sorting algorithm, like... AI that they used and I'm trying to remember the exact story. It was something about how it figured out that it could like crash the test program by feeding <laughs> it a certain set of instructions. And so it never actually sorted stuff. It just like broke the program to crash quickly. <laughs> but a, a crash was like success. <laughs> yeah. Like the wrong measuring criteria. So I guess it's like that they're optimizing for, you could be optimizing for code coverage. And you can sure do a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> if you unroll all your loops, your code coverage numbers go up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just make that array of test inputs longer. Yeah, then... <laughs> I mean, coverage is a ratio, and ratios are just a great, great metric to use for performance or like when you're measuring a team. 
because, you know, you can manipulate the numerator and manipulate the denominator. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I like this question because it's sort of like the logical end to the disagreement about unit testing and testing terminology. Mm-hmm. You ask like five developers what a functional test is or an end-to-end test right. or like an integration <laughs> test. You'll get right. just tons of different definitions. Yeah. And someone was like, screw it. Unit testing doesn't even mean code. <laughs> unit <laughs> testing means clicking buttons. Exactly. It's like someone's attempt to like highlight how absurd this discussion is and then somebody took it seriously. Like, okay, I'll go unit test my code. We'll pay our unit testing department then to That's right. <laughs> manually unit test stuff. I mean, here's what's going to happen is you're going to push this unit testing definition change on everyone and the team's going to come back and, and they will have put in place a linter and they'll be like, okay, now we're unit tested. <laughs> yeah, the key is you have to have some automation around your testing. They're like, oh, automation. <laughs> Got, Got it. it. <laughs> How hard could that be? Maybe so. I have heard the phrase automated unit testing, mm-hmm. and it always struck me as redundant, but I guess it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because I think in the test driven development community, the word testing actually means writing automated unit tests. And it's funny because that's like the extreme other end of the spectrum, where this company is on the far end of that, which is like unit testing means manual verification. Yeah, it it seems like it means like test the unit that you created, like you created some module or package or whatever the unit of abstraction is, and then you are testing that unit. I wonder if it's like a manufacturing thing kind of, or or some other domain where it has a slightly different meaning. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I, I stumbled upon the term unit testing probably before, yeah, definitely before I had heard the term test driven development, which really popularized the notion of automated unit testing. And mm. and I do think that manual testing was what unit testing used to refer to like 20 plus years ago. So maybe some historical context for why it's not as wild as it seems. Whenever anyone disagrees with me, I just do what I always do and link to a Martin Fowler wiki thing okay. <laughs> that agrees with me. And then they're instantly convinced. Right. <laughs> so you just got to look up the definition of unit testing in Martin Fowler's website and then problem solved. Right. Yeah. How do you, how do you convince people? There's kind of a two pronged challenge here. And I think one of the challenges is worth addressing and the other one is not. So the first challenge that I don't think is worth addressing is that they're using the wrong definition, at least what most developers would consider unit testing. In other words, like they're saying unit testing to refer to some manual thing, but really I think a lot of, probably the majority of developers now would consider unit testing to be automated tests at a small unit level. I don't even think that fight is worth having, at least at this point. But the other problem is you don't have automated tests. That fight is almost definitely worth having and probably much easier to win. Yeah. It's a smart idea because that's what I was going to (laughs) say. Well, I (laughs) so I like it. (laughs) Just to be clear, I was just looking at a Martin Fowler webpage and that's what it said. So Yeah, if it's really hard to change people's understanding of what terms mean. And if if that's the avenue you are going down, you will lose to people's laziness and ignorance and, <laughs> and resistance to change. Yes, they will do nothing and win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll just like one confused person will torpedo your crusade. <laughs> yes, Or one malicious person who's behind all this 
at the bottom anyways. So uh, yeah, it does turn into a more standard question of how do you how do you pitch your organization to invest more in automated testing? And that's a specification, a reification. What's the word? It's like a, what's the opposite of a generalization? That's a specific case of a more generic question, which is like, how do I convince my organization to invest more in technical excellence or technical quality or something like right. that? And the answer to that is almost always you show what's in it for them because they are not going to care unless they see the potential value and return on the effort that's going to go into it. So if you can identify, I mean, maybe you can quantify the amount of time that people spend doing all these tests manually. And if, you, especially if you have like a, a, a growing suite of regression tests that people have to run, if someone's like writing all these steps down in a spreadsheet somewhere, and then that spreadsheet gets longer and longer all the time, that's a pretty compelling list of things that you could automate. Yeah. It, it can be, but there's also sometimes other motives at play here. Like, for example, your leadership who would make this decision might have a whole bunch of friends who are unit <laughs> testers. <laughs> the whole unit testing department. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this reminds me of the time I tried to pitch to a team of manual regression testing like that was their job, that we could outsource that to another company that would do it for cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I knew this was going to be a problem. So I went in with the angle of this will free you up to do all the fun testing, like exploratory testing and feature verification and, and stuff. So you don't have to be the, the boring regression testers. And they just looked back at me and, and they were just kind of silently shaking their heads left and right. <laughs> <laughs> hey you know how the work you do is not valuable and boring <laughs> oh man <laughs> bad plan so yeah yeah it sounds like these are the developers who are doing these tests though the developer right. manually tests their right. code yeah and developers should know their code works and i think some amount of manual testing while you're working on it is fairly standard but like you should have some way of making sure it's not going to break after that. And mm -hmm. <laughs> manual testing forever is not a scalable strategy to make sure your code never breaks. In terms of order of complexity, like the, the, every line of code you write has some associated amount of test burden with it. And unless you're also deleting a lot of code, which you're probably not, that test burden only increases. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of, it's definitely not going to be a scalable approach. I, Although this is a very large company, so they've done something with it. They I mean, scaled it. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe they're, yeah. <laughs> they, okay. Maybe I'm totally uh, off base here, but maybe the, the key to having this work is that you basically never revisit old functionality. You know, it just, it, you don't change it. You don't enhance it. You don't improve it. Your code only runs once. It's like this perfect flower that blooms one night a year yeah <laughs> like it ran once to do one thing when you wrote it and never again it was just this moment in time it's gone and it ran so well because of all the unit testing i did exactly <laughs> yeah this is this is my new software development methodology which is run once only code <laughs> recognizing the inherent ephemerality of technical systems building that in not only is it philosophically pleasing but it is more consistent with the right once 
methodology that you also have. Yeah. Yeah. That's why every day at the end of the working hours, there's a cron job that deletes all source control. (laughs) (laughs) It's a new day, everyone. Every day. It's literally a new day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We've got two hours to implement our ERP system. I know yesterday was rough, everyone, but I promise you tomorrow's a new day. We learned a lot about spreadsheets yesterday (laughs) while trying to rebuild Excel. (laughs) And we'll get a little further today. It's like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Oh, man. Imagine. Yeah, that would be interesting. A programmer Groundhog Day. Like, you're trapped for 24 hours. How much could you get done if you just, like, typed the right thing for 24 hours? That'd be amazing. You're, like, created a billion-dollar company in 24 hours. Yeah. So, okay, so how do we actually do it? I mean, I've already said I don't think it's worth the fight to change the definition of unit testing, but if you want to introduce automated testing into your team's workflow and culture, there's like, I mean, there's probably a thousand blog articles written about this topic, how to convince management to invest in automated testing. But one of your strongest arguments is probably, look, let's look at our regressions. You know, do we have a lot of bugs that come up after the fact on code that was working a year ago and is no longer working? Try to quantify that. Also, how much time are your developers spending manually testing all of their code? And could that be, let's say half of that time, could it be spent developing automation instead? It's all, I'm kind of throwing out these two ideas because it's almost like this is a well-accepted industry standard now that automated testing is valuable. And any company that doesn't do that actually has to prove why they're not doing it more so than why they should. Yeah, shame them. <laughs> Find some other company. <laughs> The, one of your competitors, yeah. <laughs> they, they do automated <laughs> testing. Yeah, I think the key insight here is recognizing that the terms are a smokescreen, like you said, and just you're selling the value of it. I think, okay, here's what you do. You come up with a new term for unit testing, like mm-hmm. call it like something that already means something else very clearly. Like, <laughs> like continuous integration. Filing your taxes or something. <laughs> just like name it something that... Very clearly has a different meaning and just really go all in on that. Yeah, got it. Because that marketing push will help you convince people because people are convinced by marketing and everybody loves filing their taxes. So. <laughs> how can you, how can you well. lose? It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, file your taxes or you go to jail. <laughs> That's what we call it when the test suite fails. We're all going to jail. <laughs> when the build breaks. Okay, have we answered the question? I think so. I, I think you're probably got a pretty uphill battle here. And another, just one more thing I'll add is that there's nothing stopping you from developing automated tests in the code that you write. And a lot of times that's the easiest way to prove the benefit is to just show other people, look, this is what I'm talking about. It's not that huge of a deal. Here you go. Maybe you've got a little build server that runs or something, you know, you kind of work your way into it slowly. Ooh, I like that. That's especially helpful if you feel like the level of interest and knowledge about the subject is pretty different on the team. If you're an expert and you're really pumped about it, you can't really expect people who know very little about it to, of their own volition, just kind of dive into it. But if you show them with your expertise, the benefit that can sell pretty well. You're going to have to show them anyway. So you may as well just do it. Sure. All right. Yeah. Question answered. Question answered. Now, I'm not going to name any names, but we have a time-honored tradition on this show of complaining about hard-to-use task trackers. However, things are changing in this world. Have you heard about Monday.com? 
Yeah, I've used Monday.com. It's a work OS that powers teams to run processes, projects, and build custom workflows in one digital workspace. It's pretty cool. It's very modern. I heard you can actually develop apps that run on Monday.com now. It's super customizable. That's right. And Monday.com is hosting an app competition for developers. They're giving away three Teslas and a bunch of other prizes to the winners. I'm recruiting a team to implement Doom in Monday.com, and you can ride in my Tesla if we win. <laughs> this sounds like a good chance to get in early on a growing platform. Currently, there are over 100,000 teams that use Monday.com for their daily work, and your app could be in front of them. To sign up, go to Monday.com slash soft skills. You can find the dates and the rules of the competition there. I suggest you check it out today so you don't miss out. Go to Monday.com slash soft skills. Okay, I will read our next question. This is from a listener named Potik. I'm feeling isolated and demotivated while working from home. With the COVID-19 pandemic, we've been working from home for more than six months, and it looks like it will be another six months at least before we get back to work. We are already a geographically distributed team, and with work from home, the interactions within the team have become harder. We do have a once-a-week team meeting, but there are more than 20 people, and it is usually a tech talk. Sometimes I go days without interacting with the team outside of Slack or email. I have realized that this tends to make me distracted or demotivated. Interacting with team members and seniors within the teams gives a big picture information, helps me understand ongoing projects, and keeps me motivated. I have tried proposing virtual happy hours or even meetings within small groups who work closely once a week or so. Understandably, not everyone is enthused about virtual happy hours. Do you guys have any other suggestions? Hmm. I mean, the idea that comes to me first is fast forward into the year 2021, you have to buy a Cybertruck, which allegedly will have bioweapons-grade air filtering. You drive to your teammates' houses, and then you get on a video conference with them, one-on-one, -on -one, where they can see you through the glass. And <laughs> it's almost just like being there in person again. You're just in your separate sealed bubble. That's right. And if they try to attack you with nerve gas, too <laughs> <You're> bad. <good. laughs> Wait, no. You buy everyone on the team a Cybertruck, and you can have ah. team stand-ups in a parking lot. You all ah. drive your Cybertrucks next to each other. You're all on your video calls, but you have eye contact and body language, and and you all have a Cybertruck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the body language is like expressed through the movement of your car, right? <laughs> like If you're really pumped about an idea, you do some sweet donuts in the parking lot. <laughs> Exactly. If you're not feeling it, you just put it in first gear and kind of like trundle along. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, this is a this is a pretty common question right now since lots of the tech world has been either encouraged or pulled kicking and screaming into remote work. Yep. I said a couple months ago that I thought that remote work would become more common. This was before COVID, and I guess you're right. I was behind it all. Yeah, you're the so monkey's right. paw. A, a finger <laughs> curls on the monkey's paw. <laughs> I wish remote work would become more common. <laughs> wish granted. But oh, that is uh, ju just like right now, there are people who do not like working from an office and really try and avoid it, even though that's kind of the the default way of working. There are going to be people who really do not like working from home or working remotely. And now they've sort of been shoved into this default way of working Yeah, without opting into it. So it's kind of just a tough transition time. Normally, people who work from home choose it. And normally, 
they are motivated to make it work. And normally it's like a nice benefit that people are interested in and, and seek out. And now everyone's just kind of had it thrust upon them. Do you feel like people who were already working from home are enjoying it now? Or are there also negative elements for them? What do you mean enjoying it now? Meaning like, is it worse for them now than it was, say, a year ago when they were working from home? Or is it still just about the same? Oh, I think for me, some things are better, some things are worse. The whole thing with the world being sick, that's worse. Okay. (laughs) But having my organization realize that it's good to write things down is better. Kind of like putting everyone on a more level playing field. That's a common complaint with remote work. If there's people in the office that you kind of like miss out on this other communication medium. And, yeah. and that medium is gone for everybody now in my company, at least. So I think overall, like work-wise is better. Life-wise is worse because <laughs> bad stuff is happening in life to make this work from home thing happen. So I feel like I agree with you on, because uh, I was working from home for about a year before the pandemic struck. And I feel like yeah. it did get better in the sense that people are now more aware of everyone who's remote because they're all remote. And that's been yeah. good, you know, so like in meetings, it's like everyone's on the same page, you know, or everyone has the same level of access. Let's say it's not like yep. there's these secret body language conversations going on in the meeting that you're not privy to because you're on the, on the phone. Or this poor neglected laptop sitting in the corner yes. that like can't hear anything. And yes, exactly. People leave their mics on and their speakers and you die from feedback. Yes, yes. So that's good. But I'll tell you for me, the one major thing that was required for me to feel successful working from home was in-person get-togethers, which I did. I would travel to see my team on like a monthly or bi-monthly basis. And now not having been able to do that for the last six months has been so hard for me. Wait, is bi-monthly every other month or yeah. twice a month? So I, it can mean both, but I use, I use in this case, I meant, <laughs> it, I meant it to mean every two months. Okay. Virtual happy hours. That can mean very different things to different people. To some people, it means, hey, there's a meeting where we're going to do nothing and just hang out. <laughs> and to some people, that sounds great. And to some people, that sounds like their worst nightmare yeah. <laughs> or or like their everyday job, just what they do all day in their, yep. <laughs> in their normal job is show up to a meeting and do nothing. Yeah. So I could see the lack of enthusiasm about virtual happy hours, especially if it's not clearly communicated what the purpose is and how that purpose will be accomplished. Yeah. I saw a bunch of virtual happy hours happening at the beginning of the pandemic, and they were they were widely attended by my team and, and other organizations. And they seem to have kind of reduced attendance over the six or so months that we've been doing this. I think what you need to do is find, find a video game that you can all play together. And the mm-hmm. virtual happy hour is just like hopping on to Among Us or whatever. <laughs> that, is, that is fun. And then you get to just chop your project manager in half in the <laughs> electrical bay or something like yes. that i think you're only half joking right i mean that actually is yeah. a, i think a really good idea yeah video games are not everyone's thing and you, you want to be careful not to assume like oh we're, we're programmers everybody loves to play video games because that's not true but if you can find some shared interest or something that's accessible enough that like even people who aren't into that particular hobby can participate doing something besides just sitting there and talking can be yeah. helpful yeah. And and it can be easier to talk while there's something to focus your attention on that's not just like 
your coworker's Zoom background yes. while you stare awkwardly. Think about what it looked like to have social interactions in a group before the pandemic. And you almost never would just gather in a room with the express purpose of just talking to each other. You know, everyone gathered. If you did, you would call it a salon. (laughs) You debate stuff. But that would be lame, right? It's like everyone gather in this room. We're going to talk to each other for an hour. Like if it's lame in real life, it's lame over a video call too. And so I love the idea. Like we we would always, there would be some reason to be there, like food or a a game or something or, or even, you know, status updates, whatever. I mean, I think a lot of socialization happened just as a side effect of day-to-day meetings anyway. But in the absence of that, there needs to be some purpose for attending. And I think people get excited about going to do something besides just going around the room and talking about what your weekend plans are. I've seen these these kind of events pop up where they're they're sort of like joke presentation events where somebody has to give a short talk on something just ridiculous that they're passionate about. (laughs) Okay. Like... Sonic the Hedgehog fan fiction, and they make like slides and <laughs> have a thesis and that's a good idea. Metrics and stuff and <laughs> metrics. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think you want to know what the metrics are for Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> fan fiction. <laughs> but yeah, just something that is themed more than let's sit here and interact. Hey, yeah, we need to social interact. <laughs> Come dialogue with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I yeah. love I love dialogue. Video games are pretty natural though cuz you're all sitting at your computer. There's there's some free ones that are easy to hop into. There are some fun like quiz games too that you can play with each other. It's almost like family feud style or you're guessing guessing games and things like that that don't require yeah. like dexterity and, you know, first person shooter skills and stuff. Yeah, accessibility is really important though. Something that that everyone can t- participate in and enjoy cuz mm-hmm. you don't want it to be like yeah. Quick, everybody hop into Quake 3 Arena, where I've been practicing for right. 15 years. <laughs> I just want to frag just, all of you so bad. Yeah. <laughs> let me just bunny hop across the map at warp speed, headshotting everybody. <laughs> this will be so gun. fun for me. <laughs> yeah. This will be a great team bonding moment. <laughs> you know, th- there is this other idea of organizing team get togethers in a safe way with small groups and outdoors, but. And and we actually pitched this uh, in my own organization, but it actually turns out that it doesn't work for everyone. Even that doesn't work for everyone, even if the destination is safe. Um, not everyone is able to get to the destination in a safe way. You know, like mm. not everybody, if you live in a big city, not everybody has a car of your own. And so you might have to ride with a stranger in a lift, you know, or on the train with strangers. You don't know what their status is. So even that yeah. just doesn't really work. So it is kind of a rock and a hard place right now. I think I've talked about this book on the show before. It's called The Art of Gathering, and it's all about how you create meaningful gatherings. It's not about work meetings. It's about like dinner parties or get-togethers with friends or something like that. That sounds awesome. And it's really good, and I can't summarize it in a sentence, but if I had to try, it would be stand for a specific thing, like have a specific ethos and that means you will do some things and not do or not allow other things. So you have to be kind of deliberate about how you are constructing it. So you need tenets. Yeah, basically. That's the that's kind of the pitch that it it, it it's more meaningful if you're not just like, hey everybody come over and turn on your camera if you have some specific thing. Is this book more about like how to create an organization 
that meets or is no. it more like how to have like an ad hoc get together or both no it's it's the second one it's not i think the person who wrote it is like an event planner oh okay who who does like conferences or some people i think they work with rich people basically okay. <laughs> like a rich person hires her to put together an exciting dinner party okay so we're talking it's not just fundraiser events <laughs> no 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 it's like fancier events i see but it's an interesting read and if you like that kind of thing you could check it out I the will. other thing we've we've talked a lot about this idea of gathering but that's not the only way you can communicate with your team pair programming is pretty helpful if you're really disconnected and not talking or interacting much except over slack or email it can be helpful to have some synchronous communication where you're working on the same thing together to break that up you can just like reach out and say hey i want to pair on whatever you're working on or or ask someone if they can pair with you and it might be weird the first time but if people like it then it won't be weird anymore and and I found that help a lot in my remote organization. The other thing that we've talked about a couple times on the show is we have a long-standing video conference that's just always on and people mm -hmm. can just hop in there and chat if they want to. And so people will sometimes hang out in there and work and then it's like this is where you work. It's like if if you had a I don't know, a central couch in the office that people could come sit at and work on their laptops but also chat a little bit it's basically that feel but remote it kind of signals that i'm working but i'm open to distraction yeah i'm working but like we can chat about a thing if you want or that's cool yeah I, I honestly think that our ability to be successful as we navigate this pandemic depends a lot on our ability to solve this problem because i think a lot of people myself included are starting to feel the effects of the disconnect yeah it's getting rough out there which is why We've started a game of mafia with the entire company. <laughs> we have 47,000 detectives. <laughs> <laughs> could you do could you do async mafia? That could be fun. At scale. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> How would you do that? What's that game? Diplomacy? Have you heard of that? Yes. I've only heard of it. I've never seen it played and have no desire to see it played or play it. It's not the most fun game to watch, I can tell you. <laughs> have you played it? Yes. Over 10 years ago, I played it with a group in my office. And I just didn't oh, really okay. get it. And I got I got out pretty quick. But It's, it's basically like you're running a country mm -hmm. and you're trying to... Are you trying to take over the world? Is that the goal? I think so. I think it's world domination. You're trying to win somehow. But it's through negotiation and, and things like that. Yeah, it's like it's like risk, but without dice or armies, just with manipulation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that originally started. I don't know if it originally started, but people did play it over mail sometimes. I would not be surprised based on the level of graphics quality that I saw in the game. <laughs> <laughs> this looks like a game that really values text. Yes, <laughs> and a small number of colors on your printer. <laughs> yeah so just uh start that up all right I, that's all my advice start up a whole org game of diplomacy i think this is the kind of question that i think would really benefit from a crowdsourced creative outlet and i just want to put out a request to anyone who's listening to this now if your company or team has done something clever to address this problem would you tweet at us at softskillseng and let us know what they did and we'll share your stories because I think this one is really important and is something that any one person working in isolation is not going to find solutions. 
But I think collectively, a bunch of people will probably come up with enough interesting ideas that it is solvable. I mean, we're just we're just fighting against thousands of years of human social development, you know, but it should be fine. How hard could that be? <laughs> There's a Twitter thread by somebody who's an engineering manager at Twitter named Ronnie Chen. She says that she created this thing called the Great Eventually Consistent Mandatory Fun Time Team Offsite. <laughs> the team had to have a mandatory fun day to replicate an offsite. Mm-hmm. And you you were at work, like you you couldn't just take vacation. You had to do it because of work. Okay. But you were forbidden from doing work. <laughs> okay. And yeah, let's see. Can I explain this in a way that doesn't sound really dumb? So far you're doing great. <laughs> good. <laughs> I don't I'm trying to avoid just reading the Twitter thread. It's a good thread. Maybe we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, let's do that. Basically, it's like that idea of mandatory vacation time, except kind of like tweaked for this remote pandemic thing. You have to do something fun and interesting and then present about it to the team after you come back from it. Okay. And it's, it. it's sort of to try to counteract that idea of like, when you're working remotely, it's easy to just get sucked into only work. Mm-hmm. And work is more than sitting down and typing at your computer often. If you're there in person, there are things to break yes. it up and things to enhance your brains. But this is this is just a practice to encourage that in this remote setting, I guess. Okay, that's cool. We'll link it. We'll put it in our show notes. All right. Is that question answered, Jameson? Absolutely. What more could possibly be said? None more. Okay. <laughs> Where can people go if they want to get their own questions not answered? They can go to softskills.audio, click ask us a question or ask a question. The words ask and question are in the button. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there may be many other words in the button, but <laughs> those two are there. And we will get to it. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for asking questions, and we hope you have a great week. See ya.